Hi, I'm Carlos Kina, founding partner of Beyond the Deal, BTD for short, and this is our podcast series titled Beyond the Deal, Making Sense of M&A, Divestments, and Alliances. At BTD, we help smart and savvy organizations design, plan, and manage M&A integrations, separations, and alliances for themselves, and through this, get as much long-term value from the deal as possible. Based on 20 years of experience across more than 150 international engagements, we've made the process as simple, discreet, and modular as possible to reflect our clients' needs today and in the future. This podcast series will help guide you through the challenges and unknowns of M&A, integrations, divestments, separations, and alliances, bringing expertise and best practice from our team and other expert practitioners in our network. Our aim for each podcast is to provide you with practical, helpful nuggets, ideas, new perspectives, and things to do to support your own upcoming deals. We hope you finish each podcast with something new you hadn't considered before that will help you, your team, and your business be more successful. If you like our podcasts, please share, comment, or subscribe to our channel. BTD, from pre-deal to post, we help you go beyond the deal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the first Beyond the Deal Back to Basics podcast. Uh, in this uh, series, we're going to be looking at a number of different uh, practical to-dos on how to make sure that your integration design planning and execution goes as well as it can. Um, this first episode of the podcast series is talking about how to make sure that you can be the best owner of the business. Uh, there is a, a very good adage that says you should always ask yourself when considering a deal whether you would be the best owner of this particular business or asset. So what we're going to hope to do today is just uh, take about 20 to 30 minutes unpicking that a little bit and trying to provide some good uh, practical tips on how you could do that. Uh, joining me today, I'm very pleased to have David Olson, who is a partner with Beyond the Deal in our UK practice, and also Lance Rayleigh, who is a director uh, based out of Dallas in the US, who is uh, spearheading our work in the energy sector. Thanks very much, guys, for joining. Thank you. Okay, so why don't we just go ahead and get started? I think you know the first question is, well, what exactly does that mean, how to be the better owner of the business? That sounds like a nice consulting uh, phrase or a business uh, uh, MBA phrase, but you know, what does it really mean in practice? Lance, what, from your experience, what would you say? <clears throat> my thought, Carlos, and thanks again for inviting me today, uh, my thought is a, a real cold eye assessment of the assets or the offering of the firm that you're purchasing. Uh, and, and looking at that through maybe a, a third-party lens, uh, do they have uh, assets that will complement my offering? Do they have a skill set that will complement my offering? Or is it something that I need to perhaps uh, uh, shed or uh, pass off or even in some cases uh, hold in reserve for, for some time? Uh, Nick, uh, Nick Palmer, one of our other um, partners, is use the suggestion and the example of, of Chevron. They had made a purchase a few years back uh, with a, uh, a unit that had a really good technology in, in uh, factory drilling. <clears throat> they thought that it was a nice to do or a nice to have, but kind of held it in reserve and didn't really do much with it. Thought about getting rid of it, but then when the price of oil came down, uh, they actually used that 
quite effectively to uh, continue to improve cash flow through a technology that, that they'd purchased through a second uh, secondary uh, company years before. So it's it's looking at those, figuring out what folds into your offering uh, and what perhaps maybe uh, could help you in the future. Okay, interesting. Dave, David, what's your take on this? So I'm going to come at it from a, a point of prior failure. And I say that some, some kind of years ago when I when I was integration director for a business. And, and actually quite often we would buy bolt-ons. And, and the ingoing assumption was that we were going to make that company better. And my job was to go in and, and sometimes make that company better. And the, the reason why some of those projects didn't work out as well as they could have done was a lack of purpose and, and and without slipping into too much into consultancy nonsense um a lack of shared purpose around what better means can be the un the undoing of you being a better owner and if we think about um the kind of inorganic growth equation then then it really comes from a, a starting point of saying what is your strategic endpoint what do you want your business to look like minus where you are now and the other side of the other side of that equation could look something like it's your target plus or minus any any kind of synergies multiplied by your ability to realize those so if your synergy assumption is that you can make things better actually what does better mean so what what would you do with that with that with that better and turning that those benefits those clearly costed benefits into deal rationale and making everyone aligned to that everyone therefore knows what they're trying to achieve and why so trying to formulate really really quick and early early in the deal in the deal process what does better mean so what and therefore building that into your um deal rationale yeah i i love the multiplier effect uh, uh that you've added there because of course so many companies uh, they understand that they may be better at something than the target, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can make the target better. Um, mm. So I think that's a really good point. Right, and and being better is almost a, an independent conversation, uh, aside from from an acquisition target. You know, what does better mean for our organization before we even look at bolt-ons, other organizations, other offerings, and and understanding that um, that that future state. Uh, throughout the organization and throughout the company and and clearly communicating that it's it's an interesting point i remember work that uh, that i and some of the team did uh in the uh, airline sector a while back and there was this common conception as we were helping them think through potential targets to buy that they needed to buy a good target uh the target needed to be very strong in this and very strong in that and actually you know it, it took a bit of uh discussion to, to turn that around and realize, no, in fact, that's not what they're supposed to be looking for. They're looking to, for complementary strengths and weaknesses, uh, areas mm. where maybe they're not so good, but you are, or or vice versa. Um, I think that's not something that's always seen. The the thing, I guess, on reflection that I've also noticed is everybody knows about synergies in terms of sales increase or revenue acceleration or cost cutting. But I mean, there's some good capability stuff out there as well that sometimes can be easy to quantify or hard, but but still is really important. I mean, we're, we're working with a, um, a, a Middle Eastern energy company right now where one of the big capabilities they bring is the ability to uh, accelerate the time to pay of their receivables. 
uh, and you know, just the sheer fact that they will be able to get money out of the customers faster than uh, their current target can is a very significant financial direct benefit. You know, and similarly, one-off things around stock reduction or Six Sigma performance improvement and so on are absolutely, should all be on the table in my view. And I think, I think that, I mean, that comes back to what I was saying earlier about, about it's that, it's that surety. You know, are you going to be able to realize these things? Are you going to make it better? And so what? I think it's asking the question all the time. So what? I mean, the ego comes, comes into this, you know, if you're going to make things better, why? What are you going to do with it? And how, actually, when you think end in, end in mind, as much as anything, it's how do you know when you've got there? What does it, what does it look like? What does it feel like? If you were to stand in the future, for want of another phrase, you know, in 12 months time and look back and say, what did we achieve? And what do we do with that achievement? How did we record it? How did we report it? Does it align with the business case? Does it align with the expectation that we gave to the external stakeholders of we're buying company X because, and here's what we've, here's what we've done. Well done us. So there is a reputational risk alongside this too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the phrases I've always liked from you, David, is, is it can sound a bit Californian standing in the future, but it's absolutely true. You've got to start with you know, some sense of what do you want the business to look like? Uh, and therefore, how can this help you and what do you need to do? Mm-hmm. So what if, if you are a, a deal doer or an integration manager or a senior executive who's responsible for making this work, what, what would you actually do to test your ability to make something better? You know, you, you've got a potential target, looks great on paper, but you know, how, do you, how do you reach that decision that you could actually improve and be the better owner of that asset? Lance, you've, you've got a view on that? Yes. Uh, my thought would be you've, you've developed that, that muscle, that skill set in your organization currently. You know, can, I, can I take a, uh, a certain business unit and improve uh, either their, uh, their order to cash or can I improve their um, uh, maintenance budgets or can I look at the way that they train and their succession model uh, of bringing up young executives? and develop that internally so that it folds out quickly and effectively and you've got a plan going forward and to to see that improvement in the organization i think are, are allow you to hit real milestones in anything that Make you're measurable uh, that you're bringing in yes yeah yeah it is it is just that it is that you know do you have a clear vision of the future and do you have a credible plan to get there i think that's the thing that if you're going to make make it make a company better that implies change. Change needs managing, change needs planning, change needs inclusivity. You've got to understand not just your purpose of why you're going to go somewhere, but actually how are you going to get there? The plan's got to be credible. That's the key word. A plan's great, but a plan will not be executed well if people aren't going to follow it. People aren't going to follow it if they don't find it credible. So I think that that's the thing, having, having a credible plan. I think the other thing as well is Ask yourself, hold a mirror up to your own business and say, are you a learning organization? Is your target business a learning organization? How much does not just learning one way, but learning two ways? Is your business and is the other business set up for that? Um, is there is there a culture of is there a culture of learning? And are there any other cultural aspects that you need to assess pre-deal? to understand whether you're going to have the ability to change or not change. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that, that to me is key. I mean, during due diligence, if you're really doing due diligence to test your ability to integrate and add that value, um, so much of it is about looking at the organization and saying, are you really going to be able to change? You know, if, if you see an organization which has had the same leadership in there for the last 20 years or a culture which seems to be very uh, stable and solid, um, you, you've got to be prepared to ask yourself that hard question of, okay, they're really great at doing what they do. That's not really relevant. The point is, are they going to be great at doing what you do or what you want them to do? Uh, all, you know, all of which should be happening in due diligence. What, what else practically can we talk about that, that um, helps to test this? I like your point about know thyself. Um, I, I think it's, it, is, it is having leadership sponsorship, having a, a proper, having a, a proper senior leader who is going to sponsor it from, from both sides, actually, as well. You know, it, it's a, a group of people that you wish to, you wish to change. What, what, will hap- what has happened, I've seen in the past, is that that group resists change and pass on their anxiety and resistance to their boss who hops over the fence and talks to your boss and says, you know what, I'd just like you to get David to back off for six months, if you don't mind, thanks very much, because we're too busy and we can't be bothered, actually. And so having seen leadership sponsorship to help drive that through and actually lead the comms from the from the outset will stop, will we'll take away any of that, will take away most of the change resistance. Yeah, well, which which leads to uh, the quiz of the day, um, and I'm happy to answer this if uh, if I'm not being leading or clear enough. You know, what in our experience is probably the one most common thing that people do during the deal negotiations itself that inhibits um, the target's desire to change? Don't talk about it. Yeah, um, my my answer to that would have been earnouts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which which can be a real problem because in you know built into it, as we all know, uh, is an inherent assumption that you're not going to be asking them to do anything significantly different to what they've already been doing other than hitting a particular target. Mm. Um, yeah, so what, what about looking at the, you mentioned, David, that need to be a learning organization. Uh, I think there's a really important point there around just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're going to be good at training others or telling others or helping others to become equally good. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Lance? Yeah, I, I, was, I was struck by when David said that. <clears throat> I've, I've seen some organizations that, that, the, that the task team or the, uh, uh, the tip of the spear never changes, and it's the same group and the same team over and over. And I think more dynamic uh, growing groups and groups that are able to 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 take on greater roles are when they pass that leadership opportunity on to others uh, throughout the organization and bring in um, new thoughts, new processes and bring in um, uh, people with different skill sets to look at uh, projects in a different light. And that that um, uh, uh, willingness to 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 provide leadership in other roles uh, and to other people really uh, just helps the maturity of the organization across the board. And uh, I think that um, keeps it a learning organization, as David said. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of the big things going right back to one of your first points, Lance, about knowing what to keep and what not. Sometimes the things you have to get rid of are some of the old leaders who maybe aren't going to be helpful in your change um, or may actually end up help becoming a barrier or a blocker. Um, to to the change that's that's going to be needed. I guess my reflection on it is, 
you know, I, much as I agree that you should never confuse a memo with reality, I'm also a great believer in nothing is, is truly real unless it's written down on a piece of paper that everybody looks at and agrees to. So, you know, David's point of standing in the future, I absolutely agree, as long as it's sitting on a document somewhere that's easy for people to understand, something that defines what that future looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as you've got people genuinely buying into that, then that's at least the first step. Then you still need the project management, the change management, the leadership sponsorship, and, and all the rest. Any Anything else you want to add to that, David? Only that just, just to build on what you said, you know, people have to buy into it. Why would they, why would they buy into it? What's in it for them? Good point. Think about when you, when when companies change, what's actually changing? So processes are changing. People having to do different different jobs. People's personal identities are changing. And I think it, it's the people kind of babble on about the about the people aspect without actually adding any meat to the bones. What do we mean by people? Well, it's their it's their identity. It's their it's their, what they do every day. It's how they how they see themselves and indeed how others see them. Changing someone's job, changing someone's way of way of doing things can put people off kilter. So I think it's a good understanding of the the impact of change upon a business as usual. It's not just yeah. the not just the resource, not just, not just the culture. It's having a clear a clear understanding that where a company where may well be seventy percent efficient at a non-change moment you throw in change and this is the mother of all change programs and you are injecting anxiety and fear and uh, all, all sorts of all sorts of emotions going going through it your BAU could fall down to 40 percent and it needs to be factored in and thought about when we do the uh, cost benefit analysis right at right at the start factor the cost of change in and ask yourself is it worth it is it really worth all worth all, all the pain and if you're not able to understand that right right at the outset, you will sleepwalk into failure without truly realizing it. Well, and, and you've also raised the point about you know the the leadership readiness for this, which is so key. And I mean, that's why we're we're um, doing this with the client right now. You know, it's so important when you're assessing the potential leadership to bring on board. It's not just a technical assessment. It's not even just a cultural assessment. It's are you going to be prepared, not just prepared, are you going to be eager and excited to turn the business that you've been working in for the last 19 years into something new and different? And that's a very big ask for most people. But mm-hmm. the only time you really get a, a safe-ish opportunity to do that is pre-deal, is, is mm-hmm. during some kind of due diligence process. Uh, but you've got to make sure and think that through. Who do you want and are they going to be, be able to lead the change that you're asking of them? Mm-hmm. And if they're not, it's unlikely to, uh, to succeed. And that's a, that's a big ask for some leaders as well, especially if you're, you know, if, if you're a corporate business or any business of scale, buying a buying an an owner managed business, think about the identity of the leader. Think about their what kind of uh, decisions can that leader make post deal. I remember we the business I worked for years ago, we bought a much smaller version of ourselves in uh, South Africa, and before the deal, the leader of that business took me out for took me out for supper in. Uh, Cape Town and said, what's going to happen to me after after the deal, David? I said, well, obviously, you're going to get quite wealthy. He went, yep, can't wait for that. But what will happen to me? Because I'm going to change from being the owner, the owner manager where what I say goes to being a general manager of a large of a larger business where I've got to ask someone's permission to do something. I'm not used to that. So 
it's understanding your leadership's capability to lead change has to be thought about too. What, what I find interesting is in natural resources businesses, there is a tendency, at least in my experience, which is, is not deep in that space, but it, compared to others, there's a tendency to discount some of that stuff, I find, because there's so much of a an emphasis put on the value of the asset, the reserves in the ground, the, the size of the field, uh, the production rates, and so on. Is, is, that a, is that a fair criticism, Lance, would you say, or, or are we just, are they just misunderstood? No, that, that is a fair criticism, and, and we do get into that that trap trap often in, in natural resources. Yeah, we we um, suspect leaders that are great at development plays to be um, good at uh, straight exploration, and then from there just straight into a uh, a production optimization program. And those those skills are unique, and those are different, and uh, we can't expect leaders to to have that skill set across the board. But then to my previous point is bringing in additional uh, new talent and new uh, skill sets to augment uh, that that leadership and and propel the company forward. Uh, I think that we can, uh, you know, we can an effort to what's the old term uh, Peter principle uh, uh, folks uh, and put them in positions where they're just not really prepared to be. And set them setting them up for failure, and that's not fair to anyone involved. To to uh, to those of you who are potentially younger than the three of us, yeah, the Peter Principle is the one that says everyone rises to their own level of incompetence. Um, <laughs> definitely recommend you look it up because it's well worth uh, looking at, if only because it's painfully true in so many cases. <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, as ever, even in in oil and gas lands, yeah, the the people in the leadership matters. It it always has, and I think it always will. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we look to to wrap this piece up? Um, being a better owner of the asset is critical to making sure that it's the right deal. In fact, I remember a client saying, "You should also ask if there's someone else out there who would be a better owner than you would of of that thing you're looking to buy." And if so, you might want to go let them buy it. Um, but if if it's about making sure that you genuinely are better and therefore could be a better owner of of their asset as well as your own. If there were just one or two very specific concrete tips that you would give someone um, to help them do that, David, why don't you kick off? What, what would you say are the two that you'd offer? Well, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to give you four, three, three really quickly. Um, plan inclusively. Start early. Use experts where you don't have the capability or the, or indeed the capacity your yourself. All of those three are incredibly lazy thinking and self and self-serving, but they're obvious. So I'll just say it anyway. The the other tip really is beware hubris. We go we go back to the premise of your opening comment, which was how will you be a better owner of this company? The word better shrieks of everything. And one can fall into the trap of hubris. I'm better than you, therefore I'm better than you. And even as humble as we all try to be. Unless you're mindful of that, of a of a level of hubris, not not just with you, but with your but with your colleagues, you will stink of it. At town halls, your language will you know you can you can work off a script. That's great, but as soon as you start going off script, as soon as you go out for dinners with them, as soon as you start to meet them socially, if you suffer from hubris, you will stink of it, and they will pick it up. And and I think a 
leaders have to be extremely mindful of this about being humble sticking to the data why are we doing this doing this deal having a clear vision of the future that's that is aligned and a credible plan to get there will avoid hubris but my my top tip is beware be mindful and manage hubris cool okay um lance how about you what what two bits of sage advice would you uh give our listeners uh i'm a i'm a tactile guy i go back to uh, my my earlier point, uh, know what the assets are, uh, both rolling assets, physical assets and um, property. See what folds into your core, what can be shed or what can be reserved for the future. Uh, be a student of your company. Uh, don't try to be a master. And that goes back to to David's hubris. Uh, be always try to try to learn new components and new things about your organization and your people so that you can uh, apply them most effectively. And and um, remember Mike Tyson's theory that everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. So have a backup and be prepared in case you stub your toe uh, through uh, through this process and uh, uh, plan accordingly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good one. Um, I guess if I had to put two out, one of them would be Get to the detail. Always ask the how question. You know, everybody says what, and then a lot of good people ask the why question. But the the point of all this is how are you going to get there? So if you say that there's a benefit in there or there's some way that you are going to improve the value of the asset, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do that? How are you going to achieve that lower level of detail? So whether it's through the kind of benefits trees that we tend to do with clients or you know, uh, other, other techniques, um, make sure that you really drill down to the details so that you've got some credibility on your ability to deliver that improvement rather than just uh, uh, the improvement itself. And then I guess the other one for me is is a little bit overlapping, I think maybe with David's, but that um, that assumption that you're better also often comes because you're the buyer, when in fact it should be the other way around entirely. It, it's astounding how many times people still think and then, you know, as David said, it, it plays into your day one presentation and, and the rest of your communications. Oh, well, because we bought you, look how wonderful we are and look how lucky you are to be part of our group. When in fact, the reality is, is very clearly in almost every case, the opposite. We bought you because you have something we don't. And that's actually a much stronger story to tell that, yes. that doesn't talk about it in terms of winners and losers in the traditional sense. Um, so you know, just think that through. Okay, great. Thanks very much for the time. I um, hope that was helpful for the listeners out there. As I said, this is going to be the first of a series on a number of different uh, sort of hints and tips on M&A. Uh, would welcome your feedback. If you have any questions or would like to uh, uh, hear more on this topic, feel free to send us an email uh, or go visit our website to uh, download the rest of the series. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. If you like our podcasts, please share, comment, or subscribe to our channel. BTD, from pre-deal to post, we help you go beyond the deal.